am excited for this series that we're in. It's called Wonder. It's Awakening to Worship. And this morning, if you wanted to put a title on the message, it's called Wired for Worship. You know, and as, as we were worshiping, there's, a, there's, a, there's a definitely a, 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 a scale, a spectrum in the way we worship. There's this comedian that you may have seen uh, once or twice. He talks about how different people worship. And, you know, some people just kind of stand there and just kind of move their elbows. It's just, you know, it's just like a little... Yeah, I'm just, you know, this is where I go. You know, you know and, and, and depending on, you know, where, where you've come from, depending on, on your history in the church or your church background, you know, you, you, may, you, may, you know, you may be down here. You may just, he called this like holding the TV. You just hold the TV down here. This is it. Just worship. You know, sometimes you get a big screen, so you just go out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was, there was one where, you know, the circle of life, you put your hands up there, you get, you get up there. And then, of course, you always have, you got the goalpost, you, you know. So there's just all kinds of different ways of worship. And, and this is interesting because sometimes this is how we define worship. And, and I, I want to speak a little bit to that, that possible misconception that we have of worship. That worship is something that we do while we're here. And the band is playing and you're sitting in those chairs or, you, or you, you know, some of you guys just worship. I don't have a cup of coffee, but some of, God, some, some of your worship is just this, is worship. Not impressed worship. <laughs> just kidding. But that, that's, our pre, that's our premise. We think worship happens right here on Sunday. There's about 20 minutes of it. I'm, I'm all in, and, and that's, that's worship. But look at what David said. David says this in Psalm 63. He says, oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you. In your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Get this right here. Verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. David's worship wasn't contained just to a moment. It permeated into everything that he did. In fact, it was many times it was the source from where he started his, his attack. He started the things that he accomplished. That's where it started from. And you, through these words, you can see how, how he was captivated in wonder of the effect and awe of God in worship. Now, now, if you know the story of David, you know that there were moments, too, that maybe he wasn't led by worship. <laughs> he he kind of stepped out of, of some of that and, and, and was led maybe by his emotions and by his, his desires. They influenced his decisions. As to worship, A.W. Tozer, he says it this way. The church that can't worship must be entertained. And men who can't lead a church to worship must provide the entertainment. I think it's, I think it's important for us to define what worship is. The Webster's Dictionary says this. He says, worship is a reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacrifice personage or to or to a sacred, excuse me, or to a sacred personage, or to any object regarded as sacred. It goes on to say, a formal ceremonious rendering of such honor and homage, the object of adoring reverence or regard. And even with that definition, right, there, there, there are varying ideas of what worship is. 
And that understanding, as I mentioned before, is, is kind of predicated on, on our history, on where we've come from, how long you've been in the church, what, what, what churches you've, you've gone to, uh, what, what social media accounts you follow, what, or maybe even down to the, the gift that you choose to respond in your text messages. The truth is, we are all wired for worship. It's, it's the truth that was in God's design of man from the from the beginning he created he created us to give adulation to to render honor if we're going to use a part of that definition the bible indicates in genesis that adam walked in the cool of the day with god from creation we were included in the glorifying nature of creation look at what the bible says in luke 19 it says this when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They were saying things like, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Bible says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus responds, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus speaks to this, this truth of creation about worship. The Bible says in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah 55 says that mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Along in, alongside the, the Old Testament, it's, it's filled with stories about, about people, the people of God, worshiping idols instead of God. In Exodus, Exodus 32, it accounts this story of the Israelites in, in the desert, and Moses is up, and, up on the mountain, and, the, and the, the people are down below, and they're getting weary from waiting, and they're longing for something. And so they go to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, you know, Moses must be dead or something up on the mountain. We, we, need, we need a God. We need, we need something to worship. They needed an, an image for them to see and to worship. And so check this out in Exodus 32, 4, what it said. The Bible says, and he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it, with an engraving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you from the land of Egypt. This, this image, this image that was created by Aaron took the place of God. And not just take the place of God, but also it took credit for everything that happened to God. And sometimes we read those passages of scriptures and we think, oh my God, how can you think that? How, how can you get to that place where you've experienced all the miracles that were happening, all the plagues that God was, was, was thr thrusting onto the people of Egypt, and yet the people of God were always protected, and he brought them out. And the Bible says that as they walked out, they walked out with all the riches of, of Egypt. And not only that, that in the desert, God led them in the day by a cloud that would cool them down at night, a pillar of fire. All of those things happening, and yet you would turn so quickly and so easily forget that lose the wonder of who God is and turn yourself and worship something that is man-made that you can see because just a few chapters before they had been given the ten commandments and they began with thou shall have no other gods before me 
Idolatry is, is putting something in the place of God. So as, as created beings, we, we worship. Everybody worships, all of us. You watching, you worship. But often we lose the wonder of Christ. We lose the wonder of God. We, I mean, we lose that connection through varying circumstances in life through bad situations, through losses that we don't understand, through situations, through prayers that, are, that we feel are unanswered, through people getting what, what, what we feel we deserve. And when, when we feel like God doesn't respond quick enough or God isn't even responding, then we have to go do something else. We have to find it for ourselves. We have to make something happen. You see, the, the reality is that we all worship something question is what do we worship or who do we worship do we do we worship football or sports easy easy ladies <laughs> my wife is not here right now so this probably won't make it to the second service but <laughs> you know your husbands are going to go home with a little sore rib we get the old church elbow right right in there he's talking to you but as, as we defined previously, it's the, it's the object of adoring reverence or regard. Well, now that I say that, sorry, fellas, that may not help very much. But I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like the, the point where your schedule is planned around it. Like, uh, that, that's what I'm talking about. That, that, that is the thing. And, and it's not just that, right? It could, be, it could be possessions, an automobile, a boat, a house. It could be our careers, our money. Our, our, it could be our spouses, it could be your kids, it could be your mama. <laughs> it could be a pastor. Be a pastor here at this church, be a pastor on social media. It could be convenience. And often it's because most of these things have a probability of immediate adoration, immediate gratification. There's an immediate recognition that comes along. It's interesting how us guys will say, we won. We, we weren't even on the field. We weren't even in the same city. <laughs> well, it's just like these Israelites in the desert. The premise of worshiping an image that I can see because I believe that we can, we can get to a place where our worship, it turns inward. It, it becomes a, a selfish thing interwoven in, the, in all that of the above list of misprioritized objects, a variable. In, in all of them, the worship of a familiar image, me. It's interesting that Genesis says that we were created in the, in the, in the image of God and and this self-image can become the focus of our worship, not God himself. A.W. Tozer said it, again, he said it like this. He said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. All those, all those other things, ultimately, they, they will leave you empty. They will leave you dry. They, they will leave you used up and alone and disappointed Sure, they, they all can give a, a moment, a, a, a momentary satisfaction or recognition. And listen, if you're living your life for the 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 years that you're going to live on this earth, man, go for it. Go for it. But if, you're, if, but if your eyes and your heart are set on eternity, if, if we're going to live for Christ in church, we, we've got to get the order right. 
We have to. The truth is we were created to worship God, the Father of all creation, Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are the priorities of our worship. Because worship of God is the only thing that fully satisfies. Do you see how this, this, this mindset, this area of worship, this reality of worship spills out from just this moment here? It spills out into all, every part of our lives. Because everything else is, is a draw that will never completely satisfy you. And scripture confirms it. Look, all of scripture is revealing who Jesus is to all humanity. He is the center, central character. In Colossians 1, verse 13, it says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the central character. He is the central character of creation. And as the central character of creation, he is the central character of our worship that expands far beyond these 20 minutes that we spend here in this room worshiping to music. He is the central character when we leave this place. He is the central character when we wake up tomorrow to go to work. He is the central character in my conversations with my wife. He is the central character in the conversations with, the, with that employee that you really don't like. He is, the, he is the central character to the boss that you really don't like. He is the central character, Lord help me, when I'm driving down 35. <laughs> he, he is the central character in my anger and in my frustration, he is the central character in everything that I do all the time, every day. And one of the most important concepts that, that we need to understand and embrace about worship is this, that God is the initiator and we are the responders. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his, his own love in us for, his, for us in this, that yet while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 11 speaks of the, the depth of his riches. Is who has lent God that he would borrow? Who has given God advice that he should run to him? That, that passage of scripture says, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conforming to this world any longer. That that is our act of worship. That that is our sacrificial act of worship. And, and when we do that by the renewing of our mind in his spirit, that we would come to understand his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
See, we don't work harder because he is, he's done so much for us. We don't, we don't pay him back for the things that he's done. It, 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 it's not that way. We don't, it, it's not about us praying more or, or our response or, or reading, the, reading more Bible or spending more time working harder. It's not about those things, worshiping more intently. No, because when would it ever be enough if we measure it that way? So we don't just... We don't just become, and and on the other hand, we don't just become spiritual loafers in that sense and say, well, he's done it all. God has has done it all. He's good. I'm I'm fine. When Christ died, he did it all so that we can conclude that that we, we receive from him and we respond to him. Romans 12, 3 says this. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, and, but, and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. It's a response. It's a response to what Christ has done. Out of, out of gratitude, out of appreciation, out of a need for him. It's a res- we respond to him that way. Because if we make salvation about the work that Christ did, then, then our worship becomes about the work that we can do. But instead, our salvation is about a person. Our worship is about Jesus. It's about our Christ. And so our response is simply love. By introducing the people around us to the characteristics of Jesus through our lives, through our responses, we, we love not only Christ through, through our reverent surrender. You, you remember that, 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 that sermon that, that Pastor Ross preached? He had a flag up here, and he gave us the, the difference of yielding to surrender. It's so, so good. It applies to this very, this very idea here. We, we surrender to him. And then because we surrender to him, he fills us up with all the things that we need. Then we can go out. Then we can go out and we can begin to do the things that are beyond us because of what the Spirit is doing in our hearts. Every day, every place, everywhere. You guys, you guys come back up. We're going to get ready to, to, get, to just respond to what Jesus is doing. Mark 12 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, one of, the, of all the commandments, which, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Worship is wholehearted with everything inside of you overflowing with gratitude overwhelming unrelenting laying everything down in love here's what jesus said in john 14 15 
Jesus said to his disciples, and he says this to us right now, if you love me, you will do as I command. There's, a, there's this, this tremendous interplay in, this, in the scriptures between love and obedience. Worship has to do with recognizing Christ's lordship. There is a, a modern day problem with how we understand love. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a feeling. It's, it's not an emotion. It's not a, a romantic notion. It's, it's not something you fall in and, and out of. Martin Luther says it this way. Christians don't tell lies. They, they sing them. Love is a decision. Love is a decision and so, and so is worship. Love is living for someone else's good. Love is every decision made for the good of another person. And for the Christian, this person is Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> and interestingly enough, Jesus knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what's best for you. And that's what he wants to give you. That's what he has for us. When we understand worship as a, a loving response and, and love as a, as a decision, we, we become true worshipers. The Bible speaks about that in Mark. That the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. It's not just one, it's both. You see, worship is far more than just a moment a moment that, that in, this, in, this, in this church, it's Sunday morning, it's far beyond that. It's, it's this moment and. It's this moment and. It's this moment and seeking out this pattern, this interaction with Christ every day. It's the moments from this one to the next. It's the moments that are going to, the things that are going to happen as you go to lunch and as you respond to the people around you. That, that's, a, that's a part of our worship. It's Monday at 8 o'clock. It's taking a little bit more time at a, at a gas station or at the coffee house to listen, to respond, to share the love of Christ. It's putting our agendas and our, our timetables to the side when God is calling us to be with him, to speak for him, to be an advocate for what he has done in us, simply what he's done in us. Those moments, they, they correlate into life-changing decisions. Those moments correlate into opportunities where people have a moment where they come to recognize the reality of who God is because in you, he's standing right in front of them, speaking life into their very situation recognizing maybe something that, man, God, you do see me. You do understand. That is our job. Those are our opportunities when we step out of this place and we begin to worship. I want to introduce you to someone this morning. Put that picture up for me, Tulu. I want to introduce you to, to Theodore Arnold Harris. I'm going to do my best not to get emotional right now. This young man right there in the middle. was a part of David Jr.'s AAU basketball team. He spent a lot of time with us during the season. That's him over on the right. That's the basketball team that I coached. I don't know why I have blue on when my team is red and black. 
That next one. Sometimes he'd go with us everywhere. And Theodore was special. He was, he was full of life and he was happy. He was a jokester. It was, it was so much fun for him to be around us. And we had the, the honor of Christine and I, you know, many times he'd, we're riding in the car with the kids and dropping him off and taking him to basketball practice, doing all this stuff. And we had opportunities to, to talk about Christ with him, to share who he is, but not just to share who he is, but show, express the love of God to him. Theo's life came to an end this week. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't, listen, I'm not trying to make this an emotional thing. I'm trying to, to show you the reality, the importance of the moments that we spend around the people that need to know who Christ is. In those last moments of Theo's life, I, I, can, I can only hope that God brought to memory the conversations that we had of how good he was and how great he is and how his love and his mercy and his grace, they cover a multitude of sins. And, and what, all we need to do is believe in our hearts and cry out to him and he comes in and he saves us. I can only hope that that was the last moment, that that was part of the last moments of Theodore's life. The reality is that we work around, we walk around, we live around people that have smiles on their faces. And you may be in this room right now. Prayer team, I want you to come up. You may be in this room right now. Nobody knows the reality of what you're walking through. Nobody, uh, nobody has a, a, an understanding of the, the trauma that you are experiencing. You're walking in right now. You don't have to walk out of this place the same. There's reality, there's people that we work with that are enduring the same thing. And guys, we, we be, we, we're here because we believe in who Christ is. We're here because he's changed our hearts and he's changed our lives and he's done something in us far beyond what we could ever do. When we look back on our lives, you, you, you have to see the goodness of what he does, his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace covering us and watching over us and protecting us so that we would stand here today. And all God, all God is asking you is in your worship, take it outside of these four walls to live a life of worship. Romans 12 says that this is our act of worship, to be renewed, to have our minds renewed, to not conform to the world any longer, but be transforming, transformed by the renewing of our mind.